Father, we do thank you so much for your word. We thank you, Father, that it's your word that uh, brings life. We thank you, Father, that it's not by our own interpretation, but it's by by good study, by good application of the word to itself, that we can understand who you are and what you have for us. Father, we yield ourselves to you, and we yield ourselves to the Holy Spirit to, to lead us into all truth. Thank you for your word, Father, that sheds light unto our feet, lamp unto our path. We thank you for it, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Galatians chapter 4. Oh, before we get going, there are cupcakes and some kind of brown chocolatey type things over there. If uh, anybody would like anything, please go for it. If you want to split it, we might need a knife of some sort to cut pastries. Or yet we could just karate chop it. Uh, somebody has a has a sharp witted knife, have some napkins. Don't bring them close to me. That's the last thing I need right there. <laughs> All right, Galatians chapter four. We made it out of chapter three. What happened in three? I forgot. You forgot? Oh man, we spent three weeks there. We should, if we know anything, it should be Galatians three. Uh, basically, about the faithfulness uh, to uh, God's law. Um, talked about the legal part, the legalistic part of the uh, law, and basically being under grace. Talked about the promises of Abraham. Alright. It talks about our uh, relationship with God. That as that it's not by observance of the law, but it's by promises. And culminating, to me, the most important is that we are sons of God. We are children of God. We're, not, we're no longer slaves, but we are children. And chapter 4 goes on to expound uh, upon that. About especially, well, it just it, it goes on to to highlight that about the uh, fact of, of sonship rather than uh, slavery. So let's go ahead and start with Galatians chapter four. What I am saying is that as long as an heir is underage, he is no different from a slave, although he owns the estate. The heir is subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. So also, when we were underage, we were in slavery under the elemental spiritual forces of the world. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has, God has made you also an heir. So, who are the slaves? Um, before 
before Christ, the Jewish people, the Israelites, everybody basically. Right. The the ones under the law, the 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 uh, the Jewish people uh, before Christ. Now uh, we're let, let's let's get uh, let's split hairs here now. Were they all slaves? No. Why? We talked about this last week. Why? Why is that? Because some of them got it. Some of them knew they weren't under the legalism. They understood that it wasn't about legalism and it wasn't about law. That it was about grace from the very beginning. Mm-hmm. What were they putting their hope in? In the Messiah. Well, in the Messiah. But they weren't sure it was Looking Christ or not. Yeah, the 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 coming Messiah, whomever that may be. Now, obviously, I mean nobody. Uh, Nobody knew the specifics. Had they known the specifics, they would have, you know, would it have been different? Maybe they may know, but but obviously God doesn't. Uh, God is a God who hides Himself and, and reveals Himself to those who are who are seeking Him. So, if we're no longer slaves, um, we're now sons. Anyone who is Anyone who is, uh, I don't want to give answers away. Anyone who is um, under the new covenant, the new, the new deal, is a son. How do we become sons? How does anyone become a son? How does, how does any um, person just off the street, how do they become a son? Born again. How do you get born again? Believe the blood of Christ. Believe the blood of Christ. Okay. Faith through grace. Faith. Faith through grace. Faith in what? Faith in Jesus Christ. Christ. Mm -hmm. Okay. Faith in Jesus Christ. I'm being really picky. The Trinity, the Holy. You have Jesus Christ to save us with nothing else. You have to profess by your mouth publicly. Declaration of faith in Christ. Faith in Christ. That. What about the faith in Christ? That he was the Son of God. That, that was he was the Son of God. He was born of a virgin. That he came, died, was resurrected on the third day. That he will return again. That's what I'm looking for. It's it's not faith in that he existed. It's not faith in that um, he did the things that he said he did. It's faith that that death on the cross does what. Brings them life. Yeah. It destroyed Satan's whole world, world basically. Does what? Covers sin. No. Everybody's everybody's bouncing around it here. So eternal life. Eternal life. But it, what it, happened? It, it, what what specifically happened on the cross that gives us the opportunity to be sons? I'm being very technical, but it but this is very technical. And the sins of us. And, and did what? And he destroyed the law, basically. He destroyed the law. Okay, yeah, fulfilled, yeah. He broke down that wall, the paracote between the holy and the holy, which separated Jew and Gentile. He paid the price for our sins. For the sins with what? His blood. Yes. His death on the cross paid for my sins. Every sin I have ever committed, every sin I will ever commit. That is what sell. That's that is what being born again is. Is you 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 
you realize you can't do it yourself. You realize that this is not possible to, to live this life, obviously, by the law. By being good enough, by, by having more good uh, acts in, in, in you know, overbalancing the bad acts in our lives. Um, we realize we can't do it that way. So it's the only way we can is by grace. By, by grace through faith. And that's what Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says. It says, it says by uh, grace through faith. We put our faith in what, that what Jesus did on the cross is enough, which is foolishness. You know, when you look at it, and, you know, if you look at it as a, from a natural standpoint, it's foolishness. So you can see why the Galatians are having trouble with this. It seems foolish. It seems too easy. Um, to, the, to, the, uh, to the Jew, it's a stumbling block. And to the Greek, it's a... What was that verse say? Or is it the other way around? That's what it is. Foolishness to the Gentiles, stumbling block to the Jews. Because it's like this doesn't make you know this is too easy. What do you mean we have to? This all we have to do is believe that he is we that his death bought you know it just didn't make sense because they had you know two at least two thousand if not three thousand years of of law of heritage that they had been basing their their existence on. So it changed. It changed when Jesus died on the cross. It changed. And you're right, Kelly. The, the, the veil was rent in two. What does that symbolize? It tore down the wall. Access, access to God. Because does a slave always have access to the owner? No. 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 Can only come be, be, they can only come in when they're summoned. They can only come in, they can only come in under certain certain circumstances. And that's exactly how God treated the Jews was they could only come in at a certain time. They could only approach him in a certain way. Um, you know, we were just talking about Jacob and, and others that, you know, they were, they were afraid to see God. They were afraid to see the face of God because if you saw God, you died. And all of a sudden, here comes Jesus who says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. The funny thing is, though, they've forgotten that. Because in the very beginning, they did have that access, mm-hmm. and they chose to. They were supposed to. They were supposed to have that access from the beginning. Interesting. Well, you know what, Sinai, the Moses went up with the 70 elders, mm-hmm. and it says they all saw the face of God. They said they all saw God. They saw his feet, and it was, I don't because later Moses uh, asked to see God. He says, oh, you can't see my face, or I'll. He showed the back parts, but it's, I think it literally says face. When no, I don't think so, because it. It says they saw God. It says that they saw his legs and it saw that his feet were standing on the what looked like a sh- you know blue shimmering you know. Sapphire. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So. It's just like the Easter Channel. <laughs> <laughs> it really falls. That's what I we didn't watch it. We didn't we didn't get it. That is, was it good? Yeah. It's still playing. Yeah. They left out some things. Is it still they doing reruns? I don't know. Because we were we were we were praying, so we missed it. <sighs> they got an angel ninja. It's pretty cool. Angel ninja. Yeah. Sweet. Yeah. <laughs> you know you gotta add stuff in. You just do. <laughs> it's Hollywood. Yes. They could not do it. An angel ninja. And now I gotta watch it. See what you're talking about. All right. 
So they went. The, the the deal went from God will deal with us as slaves, which was better than nothing. That was the only gig going at the time. That was the only the only way people could access God was through that system, and it was just the way it was. You know, which which made the the. Uh, uh, Pharisees and the Sadducees, some pretty sought-after guys, because they had the key. They, it was, it was through them that anybody, you know, nobody could access God except through them. That's a pretty good deal, you know. And especially when people are bringing your food and your, you know, your uh, your sustenance to you every day or every week or every month or whatever, you know, you got your it's a pretty cushy job. And all of a sudden, Jesus says, "Okay, it's done. Now we're doing something different. We're doing it completely different." but the way that God always intended it to be. He actually, when Jesus did this, he restored it back to what? The original intent, which was? That everyone had access to God. Where, were the, where did that happen? Garden. At the garden. He, he, he restored it back to the garden, to the, to the way, you know, what, what, what Adam and Eve messed up. See, and that's what Hebrews is all about. It's talking about the first Adam and the second Adam and what happened, why did the first Adam fall and what happened when the first Adam fell and how Christ is the, is the second Adam and that he did it right. He, he was obedient all the way through, even to paying for the death. And because of that now, we're sons and daughters. We're sons. Um... Why doesn't it say we're sons and daughters? And it just says it just says we're sons. Why is that? I think probably has something to do with the cultural understanding of what a son had versus mm-hmm. a daughter didn't necessarily have the same connotation mm-hmm. at that point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's exactly it. What did the son have that, that the daughter didn't? The voice. The, the voice, yeah. Well, it was the estate, basically, the, mm-hmm. the inheritance. He had the right to inherit it. Mm-hmm. Adam um, came first, also, when he was created from Adam. Yeah. But in that culture, two women were considered chattel. They mm-hmm. were considered a part of the property. They, they did not really have an identity. They were considered part of their property, yeah. of the man's property. The father and then the husband. Mm-hmm. And and it's interesting that because before Paul says this that you are now sons, and I think it's chapter three he defines that there is no Greek, no no Jew, no Greek, no slave, no free, uh, no male, no female. Mm-hmm. That as a believer we're believers, and that's it. There's no there you know you I don't have more rights than my wife does. You know you 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 don't have more rights than you know. It isn't about uh, and, and it isn't about um, any social standing, whereas the um, the Jewish system had become all about social standings. I it, want to take umbrage, though. It's not. It wasn't that serious in the Jewish culture. A lot of the other cultures, in in Judaism itself, women were revered a lot. There was occasions, yes, but they were. But they weren't allowed to inherit. No, they weren't in. They weren't Unless allowed there to. Were no sons. Pardon? Unless there were no sons. You know, like betrothal thing. If a girl didn't Because there was that exception. She didn't have to accept the betrothal. Mm-hmm. But a lot of people think, no, they had to. No, they didn't have to. They protested. Because if there were no sons, then the daughters could carry on the, the land and the family name. And mm-hmm. 
and things. But under certain, under special circumstances. Yes, you had to marry within. Yeah. Whereas within within the the new covenant within this dispensation, it is absolutely equal across the board. Yeah. Every one of us. It doesn't matter. And there there is no um, hierarchy yeah. of Christian though. It was a male dominated society. Yes. Sure. Completely. So. All right, but it is interesting. He doesn't say sons and daughters he, because he's talking about inheritance, and with the inheritance, um, it had to be the son. And it would like you're right. I think I think it was it was relating to them at, in their culture because they still had the carryovers of that culture that they were dealing with. And so he made it clear. He, he said in in chapter three, you know, it it is no longer. Uh, these things. There is no more divisions, and we're all heirs. We're all in. Anything else about those verses? All right. Verse 8. Starting with verse 8. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those who by nature are not gods. But now that you know God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you are turning back to those weak and miserable forces? Do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again? You are observing special days and months and seasons and years. I fear for you that you have that that somehow I have wasted my efforts on you. I plead with you, brothers and sisters, become like me, for I became like you. You did me no wrong. As, as you know, it is because... Well, I'm going to stop there for a second. Um, I plead with you, brothers and sisters, become like me, for I became like you. What, why, why did he say that? It's actually important why he said that. Anybody know? Want me to read what it says here? <laughs> sure. <laughs> says evangelism, the work of Christ. Mm -hmm. The purity of the gospel rests on Christ's work and not on any human achievement. Mm -hmm. Deeds done for self-satisfaction are not part of the gospel. Personal zeal does not prove one's preaching is correct. And that's what it says okay. here. First. Okay. Um, I'm thinking more, there's a verse in Philippians where it's along this same line. He says, become like me because I became like you. What did Paul do? I think it's just saying that, you know, we can trust each other. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm you, you're me. We're all one. We trust each other. Mm -hmm. The Amplified has in brackets, basically, that he became a Gentile to them. That's what you're alluding to is that to a Jew, he's a Jew, and to a Gentile, he's a Gentile. Mm -hmm. Why did he do that? Because that is what I'm alluding to. Why, why did he do that? And why is that important? I don't think he became a Gentile. I think he put, you know, he reached out to them where they were. He never, he never left his, his Jewish faith, his Pharisaic belief, bastard. What do you mean by that? Did he did he ever eat uh, sacrifices that were made to idols? Paul? Yeah. Yeah, he says it. Don't worry about it. 
Okay, so that's that's going against the the, the legal part. The legal. I understand, but okay. but the understood Jewish versus uh, Gentile um, points. The, yes, the the, okay. the perception of the day. Yes, that, that, would, be, that would be perceived to be a Gentile. I would say. Yes. And, and and that's what I'm talking about. It, you know, did he become a full? You know, did did he? Uh, well, I guess I can't say it another way. Did he change the way he acted when he was around certain people? And, and even more so than that, he changed the way he acted in general. So that he what he didn't do toward the Gentiles was still constrain himself to all of the legalism that the. Jews had known up until that point that he exercised certain freedoms that he knew were freedoms in, in fact mm -hmm. and that that basically he stuck his neck out in that from the standpoint of the judgment from the, the Jews mm -hmm. and, and so basically he's he's taken a risk to some extent in walking in the freedoms that are generally attributed to Gentiles that don't care about the law but he, he's he's basically pioneering that path where people can um, experience those freedoms in the context of being in Christ. And he he could have certainly constrained himself to everything that he had been taught before and not exercise those freedoms, and he probably would have had a better reputation with the Jews as a result. But because he desired to relate to the Gentiles, he actually did push that envelope to, to exercise and walk in some of those freedoms that, that was were his character anyway. He would, have, to. he would not have uh, done something that put the put the faith of Christ in jeopardy at all. When he met Christ on on the road to Damascus, from that point on he was basically ostracized from the orthodox legalistic Jewish community because mm -hmm. he didn't practice that anymore. If he went to a Gentile's home and they served him a pork sandwich, he ate it because it was more about winning the person to Christ than it was about perverted legalistic observance of the law. And that's exactly what I'm talking about. You know, he says, I believe it's in Philippians that say, he says, to the Jew I become a Jew, to the Gentile I become a Gentile. So that by all means, in all ways, I might win some. Yeah. Mm -hmm. and, and that the idea is, is that he went in. So, so here, here Paul is preaching in all of Galatians. Not, not here specifically, but in all of Galatians, he's saying you don't have to follow the rituals. I guess it talks a little bit about the new, the new moons and the blah, 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 the dates. and the, mm -hmm. Because you do not have to follow the stuff. But remember we talked about, way at the beginning of this, we were talking about, we, we knew we were going to be talking about um, legalism versus, versus grace and legalism versus uh, relationship. And there are instances, like when Paul went back to Jerusalem, that he did have some who were Gentiles circumcised. There's, it's, it's, it's written down, it's in Acts, that he did do that. Well, why would he do that if he didn't believe that it actually, if it actually mattered? Mattered. Why would he do it? I think he, he believed that it mattered. Having them adapt as well. I mean, the same way he became a Gentile, some of his 
colleagues or disciples or whoever the people were, he was having, I think he was just saying, well, you're with the Jews, so let's be as Jews so we can reach them. When in Jerusalem do as the Jews do? Is that the Something like that. <laughs> I, I don't forgive when me, everybody. Went into Gypsy Village. <laughs> I think one example would be, like for me, a couple times I've had to go to a Catholic church for different things, mm -hmm. and they have the way you put your hand out to receive the communion and stuff. Now, I'll do that, not because I'm Catholic or because that's how I think I should do it, but that's the tradition, that's the custom. The people with me would see that as more attractive than my rebellious state of, oh, I'm shunning your religious way of doing things. You must be totally hypocritical. So without stepping over the line of uh, something blasphemous, why not? Why not make yourself a part of instead of disassociate yourself from the whole entire religious part of it and be able to win some souls or whatever it is that Paul is doing in that situation. Mm -hmm. He did that with Timothy and mm -hmm. was an example of and that's the way I see it as far as how Paul stepped back into maybe a state of humility and say, hey, this is what happened, this is where I first was. Again, being a Pharisee originally is like totally all about the law. Now, hey, there's the grace. Let's do this thing. And when he was with the Jews, he's like, you know, and him and Peter got into it quite a bit because Peter was really kind of legalistic about mm -hmm. certain things. So I think it's about the grace. He became that with the Galatians, yeah. Yeah. Yep. And during that day, too, the only place the Gentiles needed to be have some acceptance with the Jewish community because without the letters of Paul, um, the only place they were going to learn the gospel was from the synagogue and from those teachings. That's where the, the scrolls were kept. They weren't, people didn't have them. They would have went to their little home churches and stuff and actually the synagogues a lot of times were in homes around. Uh, they needed to be some acceptance within the local community to in order to continue their teaching after Paul left. That may be one reason why he did it. I don't know. I see another possibility is that um, if somebody who was a Gentile wanted to associate themselves with all these people that to deny them the opportunity for circumcision is basically saying, well, you're, you're still out. And, and that if somebody actually was, was trying to take a step to really identify themselves with this group of people, that, that that might be something that they on their own initiative would want to do to kind of be identifying with them. And, and to, to say that, well, no, you can't be circumcised would be a, an exclusionary type of thing. So it might be something along those lines where, where they wanted to, to belong, in a sense. Mm -hmm. or, or, or they just didn't want to offend. You know, um, for example, um, because, okay, let me say it this way. Because there are certain things, it's not worth the fight. You choose your battles. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and, I, and I totally get it. I totally get that. Um, then I, you know, for example, year, a couple of years ago, a number of years ago now, I was asked to, to be on the board of a pregnancy help uh, uh, organization, in which I am absolutely 100% in every way, shape, and form behind. I mean... We, we, you know, we need to stop abortion in every sense, you know, just, that's just where I stand. And so uh, to, to be asked to be on that board was fantastic. But then they said, well, here's our expectations, here's our requirements. You know, for, you have to be against abortion, 
No problem. I, I, have, I have no problem saying that. But then you also had to be against, I had to sign an affidavit saying that I was against birth control and against uh, capital punishment. And I went, hmm, I can't do that. I, 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 can't, I can't make that statement. But I absolutely understand why they have that requirement. Because they don't want to argue, they don't want to argue the fact, well, if you're, if you're, if you believe in life in this situation, why do you believe in death in this situation over here, or or vice versa? And they didn't want to, to have to, they didn't want to have to argue that argument. I get it. Okay, and I, I just respectfully say, no, I cannot be on your board. I will still support you with with whatever I possibly can or am led to, but I cannot make that statement myself. So. Um, it's, a, it's one of those things. You pick your battles. So when Paul was, it was in the Jewish communities, why fight it? Yeah, you're, why, why, why be the jerk? You know, even though you have all the freedom. And he says that in, in, a, in a different book. He says, I have the freedom. I can do whatever I want. But not everything is beneficial. Not everything is, is for the... You know, not everything is in love. I mean, I have freedom. I have, we, we have lots of freedom. I mean, lots and lots of freedom. To do pretty much anything we want, but not everything is in love. You know, um, I can't think of any examples that won't get me in trouble. <laughs> but you know what I'm saying. You know, I mean, we, we have freedom, but we don't use our freedom to hurt one another, to hurt other people. And that could be a part of what Paul was doing was, he, you know, he, hey, he's not, he, he's, he wants the Galatians to stay free in who they are. And not have to become Jews. But when they when he's with the Jews, he's not telling them, "Well, I don't care about your customs. You know, I don't care. I don't care what what means deeply to you, because it isn't about that. It's about Jesus Christ. It's about the gospel, and that is the most important part um, in Can love." Throw a rabbit trail? Pardon? Can I throw a rabbit trail? Oh, rabbit trail away. Um, Depends on how far that rabbit trail is going to veer us off. It doesn't go real far, but it's something that I've always wondered about. Um, Paul talks about until the fullness of Christ comes in us. You know, um, when he circumcised Timothy, Timothy had a Greek father. He would not have, well, it's debatable whether or not he would even be considered Jewish or apostolate or whatever. Um, but I think that circumcision does matter. And I think that God still cares about it. It doesn't get our interest in heaven. Okay, that's not grace. It's grace, grace alone. But it is my belief that Abraham commanded, or God commanded Abraham to circumcise all of his people. And I believe that God still wants us to do that once we come to a fullness of Christ and understand that that does not get us our interest. Other than Galatians is saying, don't do it. He's telling the Galatians, don't do it. Right, and I believe he's telling them that because they're like small baby children. No, no, I don't think so. I think, he's saying it, I think he's saying it because it's the truth. I think he's saying it is not about circumcision to the point where, you know, he even gets angry earlier on here and he says, I just assume they emasculate themselves. And if they're gonna if they're gonna force this thing, you know, if if it didn't if it if it really mattered, I think he would have chose his words much more because I I, I think that literally they have the freedom to not do it. They don't have to do it. In any no, way no, it, nobody has to do it. No, I know, but it but it really isn't it is not important at all. No, no. I don't, <laughs> I don't, I don't know. 
it was important at the time that, that the covenant was made with Abraham. Mm -hmm. Because that definitely set those people apart. Yes. But see, if you go back to Adam and Eve, it wasn't important there. No. Right. So if Jesus brought us back to that state, that was before Abraham. Mm -hmm. I just have a hard time believing that Paul would do anything that didn't matter. Because he was so focused on preaching the true grace of the gospel. And he was not worried about putting on airs or pleasing anybody. No, but, but, but remember we're talking about the, uh, it mattered in that specific situation because Timothy was going to be ministering amongst the Jews on a regular basis. He needed to be accepted by them, okay. and it was not one of those arguments he need, that they needed to fight about. Either, either one of them could have derailed their entire ministry from that point on if they had, yeah, had right. fought so hard about a peripheral issue like that. And mm -hmm. I think that's the that's exactly I'll what you do that. Like, you know, <laughs> they, they try not to make that the primary thing that they're going to fight with the Jews about, because I mean, you you miss the the main point. Yeah. I know. I just go back to him going to. Um, up to Jerusalem and offering sacrifices. Yeah. Yep. So, uh, I can understand him completing the vow that he made to God, but when you take the leap to actually going into the temple and offering the sacrifices... Well, some sacrifices were not to cover sin. But, and, hang, and paying for four other people to enter to it with him. Then was I, it... Then I have... To Justin's point, was it, well, forgive me. Was, it, uh, was it sin offerings or was it fellowship offerings? It was... Well, it was to complete the Nazarite vow that he was under and the four other men that they were under, too. Mm -hmm. um, they had to... Um, but it wasn't for sin. It no, wasn't no, a sin no, offering. No, it was not a sin offering. Not right. It was, it was a... And, and, you know, and, and we think, I mean, and we definitely have a Western mind in, into how or what, what uh, sacrifices were. Sacrifices were really a barbecue. Yeah. It, was, it was a time of fellowship. That's, that's, that's really what it was. There were very few sacrifices that they burnt totally to nothing. It also provided the priests with their food. <laughs> exactly. But when, but when they would have a feast and everyone, then they would start sacrificing. They would all sit down and eat the sacrifice. I mean, that, and it was a fellowship thing as much as now the sin offerings were sin offerings, absolutely. But even like the vow offerings were a fellowship thing. They sat down, they they fellowship together, and they ate it. You know, and they split it up with also the priests and everybody else. Um, so I, I don't, you know, at that point I wouldn't have a problem doing giving a, giving an offering, you know, bring, bringing a, a, you know, a lamb or whatever, and, and, and having it barbecued, and we all sit around and eat it. That I get that. So. Okay, back on track. Well, thank you for yeah, no problem. So first of all, again, I plead with you, brothers and sisters, become like me before I became like you. You did me no wrong. As you know, it was because of an illness that I first preached the gospel to you. And even though my illness was a trial to you, you did not treat me with contempt or scorn. Instead, you welcomed me as if I were an angel of God, as if I were Christ Jesus himself. Where then is your blessing of me now? I can testify, if you could have done so, you would have torn out your eyes and given them to me. Have I now become your enemy by telling you, the truth. He's, they're ticked at him now. You know, I mean, he must have sent word ahead of time at some point saying, you guys do not have to do this anymore. You guys do not have to have to become uh, uh, Jews. You do not have to circumcise this and that. And that from that, they got angry. Now, there was probably some of them who thought, hey, we're doing the right thing here by, by doing this. And, and so there were probably 
and we don't know for sure, I mean, other than it is definitely alluded to in many ways, that there were factions beginning even within the Galatians. There were those who said, yeah, I don't know if we need to do this. And then there were the others going, oh yeah, you definitely need to do this. And, and, they're, and they're arguing back and forth to the point of separating, of, of not fellowshipping together anymore. And that's exactly what a church split does. It causes you to not fellowship with that part of the body anymore. And that's what's happening. So he's writing to those um, and to those and saying, stop this. You know, and, and why are you angry? Because when I was there, you guys, you guys blessed me. You, know, you, you helped me. You served me. You nursed me back to health. And now why are you mad at me? Why are you ticked off? Verse 17. Those people are zealous to win you over, but for no good. What they want is to alienate you from us so that you may have zeal for them. It is fine to be zealous, provided the purpose is good, and to be so always, but not just when I'm with you. My dear children, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you, how I wish I could be with you now and change my tone because I am perplexed about you. So, Paul's saying, hey, it's great to be zealous. It's great to be excited about things. It's great to, it's great to take a doctrine and, and, and go 100% behind it as long as it's a good doctrine, as long as it makes sense. Because there are some doctrines, and there are some doctrines today, that are, you know, they're, they're in and of themselves, they're benign. But when it becomes a dividing line, whatever it may be, communion, how we worship, what songs get sung, what songs don't get sung. Um, you know, we could throw out all kinds of things. You know, what color the walls are, what color the, you know, the, the bulletins are, we, how that, you know, this and that. There's all kinds of opinions on how things should be done and not done within a group of people. And where you see true maturity is where people don't care. We all, where everybody walks in love and goes... Yeah, I don't like that. It's not my way of doing it, but you know what? It's not my deal. It's not my responsibility to make that, to have that be the thing that I, I, uh, that we break break fellowship over. It's not worth it. <clears throat> yes, Jolene. Oh, that's your great say something. <laughs> I, was, I was just thinking. I miss the good old songs, the old fashioned songs, but I don't care. Handle the new ones. And that is all of that is justified. You know, I mean, it's there are personal preferences. There always is, and but but like I say, that's where we see maturity. You know, that's where it's amazing. Is you know, okay, and and if somebody if somehow it changes back and if the pendulum swings swings back the other direction, then the other side needs to walk in love. It doesn't doesn't really matter. We all have to do that, you know. I mean, I've I've gone to some some meetings recently where where I'm sitting there going, "Wow, this is not the crowd I would normally hang out with," you know. Um, but I used to be like them, you know. I used to be, you know, in in that circle of of, of Christianity, and now I'm not, and I'm like, "Ooh, wow, this is very different. It's not my deal anymore. It's not the way I would want to be." But you know what? I can celebrate with them. They're, they're brothers and sisters in, in Christ. Like I have no problem with that. Christ told his disciples to leave the other people alone who are baptizing in Christ's name. 
even though they weren't one of them. I mean, they weren't, they weren't even numbered among the disciples, but they were disciples nonetheless. Yeah. You know, and you, and you that's, what, that's what's funny, because people say, well, this is the way we're supposed to worship, and this is what the Bible says, the way we're supposed to do things. Well, you go to the other side of the world, it's nothing like this. I mean, it's so different. It's so People do so, you know, um, when we were in uh, uh, Romania, the last time they were they were doing baptisms, and they they were they were turning people away from being baptized because they didn't have white clothes. And I was just like, oh, but oh, oh, you know, and 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 I was like, but who cares? Let them get baptized. And that's what I'm screaming inside. And then I talked to Dan and Marta afterwards, and Dan and Marta said the problem is here's 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 why they do this. Because that way, there's some decency and an order. There's 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 a there's a respect of it rather than hey, we can do whatever we want anytime we want, however we want, which is completely different. I mean, it's it, in that culture, it is a it's a sign of of, uh, of compliance, you know, obedience. And it's like you know what? Who am I to judge that? You know, I, if that's their deal, I wouldn't do it. You know, I wouldn't make that a rule in any way, shape, or form. But but. In that culture, that's the way it works. We need to walk in love towards that, whatever it may be. All right, verse 21. How are we doing? Hey, we may even get done with the whole chapter in this one. Chapter 3 was so rich, though. We, there was no way we could run through chapter 3 so, you know, at, at breakneck speed. Verse 21. Tell me, you who want to be under the law, are you aware of what the law says? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by the slave woman and the other by the free woman. His son by the slave woman was born according to the flesh, but his son by the free woman, who was born as a result of a divine promise. These things are being taken figuratively. The woman represents the women represent two covenants. One covenant is from Mount Sinai and bears children who are to be slaves. This is Hagar. Now Hagar stands for Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present city of Jerusalem because she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem that is above is free, and she is our mother. For it is written, Be glad, barren women, barren woman, you who never bore a child, shout for joy and cry aloud, you who were never in labor, because more are the children of the desolate woman than of her who has a husband. This is it's always interesting. And, and, I'm, and praise God the, that the Bible actually does this, where it interprets different uh, situations. It interprets different stories from the Bible very clearly. And it does this in a number of places. And most of the time, I would have never gotten that interpretation from that scripture. So, you know, uh, it, it, it in some ways gives some people some license to take other scriptures and kind of run with them, which isn't always good. But... Um, interesting. I mean, I would have, you know, obviously we, we can look at the the correlation between Hagar and Sarah. Um, 
the slave woman and the free woman, and the and, and the difference between you know uh, Abraham not being obedient and having a child through Sarah or through Hagar, but then there's the child of the promise through Sarah. Two different situations. Two. I mean, talk about a perfect example of how it was and how it is now. Yes. Did Sarah okay him to go have relations with him? She she's the one who suggested yeah. it. Yeah. So what's the deal there? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So you should never listen to your wife. That's that's how I, that's what I think. I was wondering what the heck was. I had to say it. You know I had to throw it out there. Even though I don't believe it at all, in any way, shape, or form. Oh, And that's the whole thing. You know, I mean, you know, at the at Mount Sinai, the people were like, oh yeah, this is a great idea. Let's do it this way. And you know, put Moses as a mediator. Same sort of deal. Sarah goes, oh yeah, this is the way we should take care of this. And put a barrier between um, them and God because the promise was through Sarah. And later, the the the, the child that she bore was the promise. Totally different. Remember the whole story. If you know that, it'd be good to go back to Genesis and reread that whole story because she was sent away. The 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 slave woman was sent away. Now, here's here's where I think. It's important to stop and, and look at this. God still blessed Hagar and Ishmael. He still made them. In, he still made Ishmael into great nations, and he still had kings. And, and he still, you know, he blessed them in so many different ways. And so you look at the Jews. It's not that the Jews aren't blessed or aren't still blessed of God. They are blessed of God. And there will come a day when when Israel will come back in. They'll go. Oh. That's we should have followed Jesus. That he was the Messiah. He is the Messiah. And they will come back in. But the Bible says, not until the fullness of the Gentiles comes in. Whatever that means. Whatever that means, whenever that means. Um, you know, and we we do see um, uh, Jews taking Jesus as Messiah, getting saved. We see that in a growing number. But I believe when it happens to this level, it's going to be it's going to be staggering. I mean, I mean, I think overnight millions of Jews will go. Wait a second, we screwed up, and they'll and they'll move into freedom. Um, when that happens, if if we're still here, then we start getting ready. <laughs> Things are going to start happening real quick. Are you of the belief that the Islamic uh, Muslim people come from Ishmael? Yes. Okay, that's yeah. what I thought too. Yep. So, freedom versus slavery. Uh, great example of that. Anything else? Anything about that before we move on to the last part? Well, Paul kind of talks about that in Romans in Romans nine six. He says, "But it is not that the word of God has taken no effect, for they are not all Israel who are of Israel, mm-hmm. nor are they all children because they are the seed of Abraham. But in Isaac your seed shall be called. That is, those who are the children of the flesh." These are not the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as seed. For this is the word of promise. At this time I will come and Sarah shall have a son. 
And not only this, but when Rebekah also had conceived by one man, even by our father Isaac, for the children not yet being born, nor having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God according to the election might stand, not of works, but of him who calls. It was said to her, the older shall serve the younger, as it is written, Jacob I have loved, but Esau I have hated. Romans 9 what? 9, 6. 1 through 6? No. 9, 6 through 12. Or 6, 6 through, through 13, actually. 6 through 13. Yeah, I think when Paul addressed the Romans, I think... You know, and this was the first time, and I think you know, when we first started talking about Galatians, it's like Paul already indoctrinated the Galatians about all the stuff, and now they're, if you want to call them backsliders or whatever they mm-hmm. are. And, I mean, and so he just wrote them a letter. He didn't go back, right? It's a right. Letter, letter. Just wrote him a letter. Just wrote him a letter. So, isn't it um, um, considered that the people that they're talking about here come also from James? Christ's brother in Jerusalem, the people that are there in Galatia trying to make them... He says that that the Peter and James, that these guys are, are people from... that they, they have eaten with Peter and James and now they're coming here and spreading this. Yes. Yes, it is that. So, that's interesting because it, it seems like that is Paul's message everywhere he went. Yeah. Christ crucified, saved by grace, through faith, uh, freedom in Christ alone, you know, not not following the law. Because in Romans and Galatians and, and in other places, he goes, "Here's the deal, folks." First Corinthians fifteen, right? Mm-hmm. The creed. I mean, every church almost has that doctrine for. Mm-hmm. I'll look it up. Here. Yeah, look it up. That that um, that there that not everyone who is in Israel is of Israel. If just just because they're just because they were born to Abraham, born of Abraham, does not make them the chosen people. The chosen people are those who follow the promise. Caleb is a perfect example of that. He was not an Israelite, but he was within the promise because he believed, and he was given a share of Canaan. You know, I'm not more of it. I'm correct, is it? I don't know. But, uh, he was one of the spies sent in. Yeah. So, you know, it's the idea that, that just because you fit the criteria, the physical criteria, it, it doesn't matter. It matters what's, what you believe. It, it, it's, it, it's, it, what matters is that you believe the promise, the promise that the Messiah will come, he, he give his life on, a, on you know, he'll become sin for you, and your sins will be, be, be forgiven because of that, Act on the cross. So whether whether you're a Jew, an Israeli, or whether you're a, a person who comes to this church, it isn't about coming through the doors that makes you a Christian. It's about what you believe. Um, you know, somebody can be in a church their whole life and miss the fact that it's about salvation through grace alone, through Christ alone. Going back to circumcision, it's. Uh very doubtful that Cornelius or his household was circumcised oh. the Romans. Very. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. Absolutely. And they were saved through this. And Peter just kept backsliding. After seeing Peter. all this stuff, he kept going back to the legal part of it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Peter had issues. 
Praise God. I'm glad Peter had issues because that makes me. I do too. So. <laughs> makes me. Hope for the rest of hope us. Hope for the rest of us. Exactly. Find <laughs> it. Alright. Last part here. Romans. I'm sorry. I'm just reading the Romans. Galatians 4, 28. Now you, brothers and sisters, like Isaac, are children of promise. Let me just read that again. Now you, brothers and sisters, like Isaac, are children of promise. At that time, the son born according to the flesh persecuted the son born by the power of the Spirit. It is the same now. He's describing exactly what they're going through right now. It's the same now. But what does Scripture say? Get rid of the slave woman and her son, for the slave woman's son will never share in the inheritance with the free woman's son. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we are not children of the slave woman, but of the free woman. We, he's basically telling the Galatians, you've got to get that stuff out of your life. That is, you have to get it out of your thought, you have to get it out of your doctrine, you have to, this is not, has nothing to do with us. The only thing that has anything to do with us is faith alone and Christ alone through, through grace. And so, it is, he's, he's clearly defining and not giving any wiggle room to, well, yeah, but... You know, get rid of it. It has no place in it. Thoughts? We could actually go into chapter 5 if we're, if we're on a roll. We were behind in chapter 3. That means we got to go. That means we have to go uh, blind with just reading the scripture. Oh my goodness. <laughs> no notes or anything. Ah. Any thoughts on that last part? Can I ask a question? Is this scripture, um, verse 24, no, verse 25, now Hagar stands for Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present city of Jerusalem. Is that the scripture that the Muslims always use to say that they have a right to Jerusalem? It could be. It could be. I don't really know specifically and absolutely. I know that they believe that... um, Muhammad will he met with the angel on the Mount there's a hole in the rock which is in the dome of the rock which is where the holy of holies was yeah Muhammad supposedly in a dream came through that on his white horse and ascended to heaven and that's where they claim their right to the temple mount right so it doesn't have anything to do with this scripture it might have something to do with the idea of it Good. I don't. I don't know. And they claim that Ishmael was the child of the promise. Right. Yeah, that Ishmael was the one that Abraham sacrificed. The Bible has been twisted, and we have the wrong copy. Yeah. Yeah, we have the wrong version. (laughs) Ishmael was the child of the promise, and you know, so Abraham is their father, and. That's the line that comes. Again, it's the bloodline. It's it's physical. It's a physical relationship right. thing. Right. Exactly. Even their first knowledge promises that the Jews say belong to them, belong to us. They're ours. Muhammad's black, right? Oh. Arabian. He's Middle Eastern, so yeah, he'd be darker. So 
I may be ignorant on this, was he a real person? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Just like Christ. Yep. Like yeah, Muhammad is a real person. He, and I don't know anything more than that about him. I mean, I, you know, I know that he, when he, when he talked about the Muslim faith, he basically took what was the moon god and twisted it to fit, you know, the, the, the Allah was actually the name of, of moon god. That was the war god, the god of war. Yeah. One of those gods. They had tons of gods in, in the Arab mm -hmm. world at that time, and he picked one of them and, and said that's Allah, kind of based his perception of Allah on the god that he chose. I think the Quran was started 600 years after his death, I believe. I'm correct now. Like that, I don't know. The writing of it? Yeah. I know he was never he was never physically in Jerusalem though. It was Wasn't the Bible the same? No. It was written before Christ, and the the what written about 40. Yeah. It was about 40 years after his death was the first. I think it's Mark. I think it's Mark is the, the at least the the earliest one that we have was written about forty years after. Well, what's all this interpretation? Interpretation about the Bible and how it's always changed. No. It's always been man. That's true. That's not true. No. No. It was it was written by first by by eyewitness accounts. The the, the four gospels. The four Gospels were written, uh, three of them were eyewitness accounts, and Mark's version is he heard stories from the eyewitness accounts and wrote them down. Um, the rest of them were all somebody, people who saw it happen. But it, it, it was man that translated from the Greek and the Hebrew into the different languages. Yes. And they, and you know, but some it, people have issues with certain words not being translated correctly from the original language. But the but there are there are more copies of the earliest manuscripts of the the Bible, and they're all they they all line up with each other. They all agree with each other. There's more. Uh, is it not concurrent? What what's, what does it mean? Congruent. It's more, there's more congruent early manuscripts of the Bible of the New Testament than of any other work of literature. And the Dead Sea Scrolls, there were only like four words that they couldn't match up in the book of Isaiah. Right. For, for today's version that we have, there was only like four words, I think, three or four. Yeah, and the gospel writings were so recent after his death, I mean, when they say it's 56 uh, AD, yeah. that's after the birth of Christ, not after the death, so it's only really yeah. only... 20s, because mm -hmm. some 20 years. Yeah. So there's eyewitnesses still alive. Yeah, and that could Lee Strobel's awesome. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. a case for faith or crazy mm -hmm. Christ. Mm -hmm. He breaks that all down because those questions are fired at him. Well, where else in the world, if you were a trial lawyer and you had 500 eyewitnesses at Pentecost, can you have a dispute that that didn't happen? When all you need is for a crime or a witnessing one or two witnesses. It's like the Nazis today say the Holocaust never happened. Right. But there's enough people that have been around when it was there to say, ah, no, mm -hmm. that was real. <laughs> give, give it another 50 years and people will start actually believing it. Who was the general that went in there was it, it, and said make sure that you take as many pictures as you can so that it won't be forgotten? <clears throat> I don't remember who it was, but one of the generals that went into some of those camps, that was one of the things that he said. Mm -hmm. 
similar to that. Uh, the I don't remember what the specific details were though what changed, but there's there's a document put out by the the Palestinian organization in 1923 or something like that that was describing something about Jerusalem and it basically acknowledged that this is the temple site for the Jews and all this other stuff that that is a lot more accurate and um, there was a certain dividing line where their publications dramatically changed their stance on what they said was true about that and from then on they did not publish anything like that and they changed the story entirely and, and basically the the consistent theme in Islam is basically to deny the Jews the right to Jerusalem. It really is not so much founded on a counterclaim that's really based in anything really substantial. Very funny, I just, I get a newsletter and it just said the same thing back in the 20s and 30s. There was the prince of uh, Lebanon or Syria or somewhere, and then he was also head of Iran. And he's quoted as saying the Jews are very welcome to come here. We will worship side by side with them. We all make the land better, et cetera, et cetera. And the theme of it was what happened to that mindset, you know. Yeah. All right. Well, let's move on to five. We've got 20 minutes here. We'll get through a verse or two. All right. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. <clears throat> Which is probably the second most known uh, verse out of Galatians after, uh, oh you foolish Galatians. So, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Mark my words, I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. That's pretty blatant. That's pretty straightforward. There isn't... Uh, what he's saying, though, is it isn't the... the it's, it's not necessarily the act of circumcision, circumcision itself. It's the fact that they're putting their trust in it. You know, because for them to do it, they basically are saying this is part of what saves us. And the reality is, it's it's Christ alone. It is it's not Christ and circumcision, or Christ and even prayer. You know, it isn't even Christ and uh, going to church. It is Christ alone. There there is only um, that is the only criteria. You know, you will not be asked at the at the judgment. Uh, did you go to church every Sunday? You only get one point for that anyway. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so it is it is for freedom that he has set us free, and we are free in Christ. Now the other stuff we do or don't do because we we're led to or we're or, or you know because of love. You know, and when it's you know, do not forsake your do, do not for uh oh lost the phraseology. Do not forsake the um, gathering. Together. Gathering. I, all the thing was joining. It's like okay, that's not it. That's not right. Do not forsake the gathering together of the brethren, because it isn't. <laughs> it isn't. Uh, it isn't that that saves you, but it is. It does help. You know, it helps you to grow. It helps you to. It helps you to mature. It helps you to to. Uh, um, 
in all of those areas. It's, it is a good thing to do, but it is, you know, if, if anybody ever makes that a requirement, which some, some uh, denominations do. Mm-hmm. You know, attendance is taken. <laughs> and uh, and uh, not just a, a head count, but we're, you know, who's here, who isn't here, well, you know. And that, that becomes a, a move back towards legalism. Again, I declare to you, every man who lets himself be circumcised is ob- uh, obligated to obey the whole law. You who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ, and you have fallen away from grace. But by faith, we eagerly await through the Spirit, the, the, through the Spirit of righteousness, I'm sorry, through the Spirit, the righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ Jesus neither, so in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. And that's exactly the point. You know, whether you do or whether you don't, whether you do, uh, whether circumcision or, or, or uncircumcision, as, as it was, that was the case back then, or uh, go to this church or not go to that church, or tithe or don't tithe, or, I mean, because all of these things at one point or another has been made a requirement for godliness by one group or another. I mean, you name it, it's out there. Whether you use in- instruments for worship or whether you don't use instruments for worship. Whether you... Uh, who knows? You can fill in the blanks. Those are all the different things that get added to it. None of it has any value. In and of itself. Only through faith expressed through love. That is the only way. It, our love for Christ and then our love for one another. Actually, by tr- by trying to mandate a certain level of of uh, rules, actually alienates people. That isn't love. By telling somebody you have to do this to to be accepted by Christ or even ourselves, you know. Okay, well, you know, we're saying that you don't have to do, you don't have to do that for salvation, but to be a part of our group, this is what you have to do. Sorry. That's not love, and that's that is uh, it's annoying. Well, it's annoying. <laughs> it's 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 wrong. It's it's not love. It's a sin. Anything that isn't love is a sin. So trying to tell somebody you have to do it this way, you have to do it this way, or you cannot do it this way or that way, is is uh, you need to allow people to 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 seek. Christ for themselves. Now, if somebody comes in and says, well, there's a different way to get saved, you don't have to go through Jesus Christ. Sorry, that is a dividing point. The blood of Christ, the cross, salvation, who Jesus is, the divinity of Christ, um, all of those things are non-negotiables. Those are those are, are things that, yeah, that is absolutes. It's a hard job. Mm-hmm, exactly. That's the, that's the beginning point. Everything else is negotiable. Everything else is is accept, you know is okay. I mean you know as long as it stays within the limits of of uh, decency and 
and uh, whatever it may be. All right. Any thoughts? I don't want to just keep pushing and blowing right through this without. Uh, I was just thinking of First Corinthians 13 when you're talking about all these things and you don't have love with them. I mean, he listed a bunch of good things that he said were worthless if they didn't have love. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he spent all of 12 and, and 14 and 15 talking about the gifts and the you know faith and and tongues and interpretation, all those different things, and then says, yeah, if you don't have love, you're wasting your time. Absolutely. Well, how did the largest religious organization in the world get it wrong? Don't you think? That's so much about traditions and customs. And mm -hmm. It's not out of love, and it's. And I just feel horrible that just because the mindset of those people, and I was just thinking of this analogy, and Paul would have been the same way talking to the Galatians in chapter four. It's like it would have been so much easier to teach me the game of golf had I never swung a club before. But since I went out there and did it on my own and taught myself all these bad habits, it's ingrained in me. So now to undo what damage has already been done, that's where the frustration is. Mm -hmm. And to try to talk to somebody that's already got a set of religious priorities, and this is the way, and you know it's the way. And I was thinking about this this week because God kind of put it in my heart because, you know, we had a house church for quite a while. And even my own daughter said, well, I'm not coming to your house church because you don't have no cross on your roof. And I'm like, what's that got to do with it? But to her, it had everything to do with it. And I was thinking, if I put on the black attire with the white collar and I walked downtown Stillwater, people would come up to me and probably think that I was a pretty righteous person. But I could go downtown dressed like this and be more righteous in my civilian clothes than I am just being kind of a religious fanatic. And I was just at a recent deal where there was a outside pastor that came in and he prayed and everything and they had a little devotion but it wasn't in Jesus name it was all it was just amen and I'm like don't you want to say in Jesus name <laughs> you know and then we're just so used to saying it you know because mm -hmm. if he has anything in Jesus name and uh, so it was just bizarre and I'm like I don't believe this man has a relationship with Christ and he's a preacher and I mean it's not as our first county prayer in that arena. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of pastors out there that have no idea who Jesus is. Mm -hmm. That just blows my mind. Yeah, it is just a tradition. It is. It is a, a fulfilling of, a, of you know keeping the past alive or whatever it may be. Yeah, I think it has a lot to do with power too. You know, they want power over people. Keep them ignorant. Well, the best way to control people is to throw a bunch of rules out, you know, and and back it up with scripture. I don't never, you know, I've never been to the Catholic Church, but isn't it common that they don't believe the priest has the Bible? Really there's the you can't find a Bible, as far as I know. There, mm -hmm. there's hymnals in the behind the pews, but there's no Bibles. I think you're encouraged not to read the word, so you don't know what it says. No, mm -hmm. that's not really actually that true. They like got missiles. <laughs> There are Catholic buses. The missiles have the Word of God in them. I think the larger theme you're going at, and it's not necessarily that somebody's going back to a particular tradition, it's that there's a common theme that comes through that's a default temptation to fall into man's way of thinking, and a, basically a second best choice that isn't really a good choice at all. 
and it, you can see it with the the Abraham trying to have his offspring through Hagar, right? Exactly. And and it was man's way of trying to take matters into their own hands and, and do that, and it was not what God had promised. And and the same thing with every time someone re- resorts back to following a set of do's and don'ts or obeying a certain traditional thing, whether it's the Catholic <laughs> Church or wherever. It seems like more comfortable from your own, if, if you can understand it from man's way of thinking, that, that okay, that, that's kind of a default fallback to, to go to, but it's not what God wants for us. But, but I mean, that theme re- reoccurs over and over and over again. Yeah. People try and, if they hear a promise from God, and they try and, okay, now I'm going to take that on my own strength and try and run with it, you get totally in the wrong place. Where you, they, that's not what it was supposed to be. And you know, I think there's something about our fallen nature that kind of defaults to that. Mm-hmm. I agree with just like Peter. <laughs> I'll fall to death. I'll go wherever you're going. Peter, you denied me three times. Oh, not me. Well, I think it's interesting that God chose um, Paul or Saul to be the one that go, go about the world and spreading the gospel versus, versus one of the original disciples that had a relationship with Jesus. That, that God chose Paul to do it you know, one that didn't have a relationship with him, one that was actually going after persecuting what what Christ Christians. Yeah, what he taught, what Christ wanted and what the disciples were teaching, that he was persecuting them until Christ came to to Paul and said, you know, you're the one that's gonna spread my word. And I think that's that Coming from that, I would see it being um, harder for the the Jewish people to follow Paul, but I would think being the Gentiles would be easier for them to follow. I think it's important too because it's it's God literally making you know setting the standard. If if it had just been the eleven or the twelve. And then they preach, and then they preach beyond that, and then they preach beyond that. Then it could be construed, construed that this is the line that everybody must follow. Right. Almost immediately, God said, "No, now I want to pick somebody now for something completely different." You know, and he <laughs> grabs somebody, grabs somebody from over on this other side. Yeah, rough around the edges, and 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 like you're saying, completely against. So, so it's okay for somebody to have a conversion. Mm-hmm. Actually, one of the things that in Revelation, when it's the letters to the churches that talks about the, one of the things that God hates was the it's the doctrine of the who was it the uh, Nicolaitans. Basically, it's the idea of a hierarchy, and that certain people are above others, and like, and that's basically. Judaism at the time that Christ came on the scene was very much that way. I mean, the Pharisees really had the common man under their thumb. You know, they could tell them to do whatever they 
wanted to. And and that that tendency and, and you see it in in denominations today and I mean it, it it's just something that God was trying to obliterate and that was why the the, the veil was torn. It's so you don't have to have a go between to to get to God. And and whenever we build up these structures that are providing hierarchy and and you have to go through these steps to get to God, but that's something that God really doesn't like. So but like I think you were saying is that that's that is the nature of man. We want that structure. You know, you know let's who am I, who who do I report to? Who who's the ultimate authority? You don't have to think. You don't have to think. You're not responsible for your own for your actions. You're not responsible for knowing the truth. Where the truth of it is is, you know, Every one of us here has to is supposed to seek it out themselves. That's you know. So give us a keen. You don't have to think for yourself. Kind of a lazy approach. To, I mean, when you can say, "Well, I'm just supposed to do X, Y, and Z, and then we're fine." Even when you look at all the all the many gods that the the non um, Jewish world was was indulging in, if they had something that. I mean, there's a reason why those gods existed. There's something in the, the human nature that, that wanted something to say everything's okay. And that, if, well, I'm just supposed to do this, this, and this to appease this god because they inherently know something is sinful about what's going on or something's broken about the situation. And so if, if their answer is, well, I can make it all okay as long as I do this, this, and this, or sacrifice it to this God or whatever, mm-hmm. then that it's an easy way out kind of thing, and it doesn't ever require anyone to take responsibility for their own. Mm-hmm. So. And, and then you can always say, "Well, it was the God of the corn that didn't give us a good crop this year. Right. <laughs> it wasn't my fault. I did my part, you know. Yeah. But it was the God of the corn who was mean, you know, or or whatever. Yeah. You know, and we can still treat God that way now, mm-hmm. where we say, well, "I prayed, and God didn't do it." So, okay, yeah. Sarah, Sarah. Now was Paul a Benjamite? Paul was. Was he? Now, the Pharisees, they must have had some vested interest in the opposition of Jesus the whole time. I mean, it just was like that. They weren't from a priesthood or anything. They weren't Levites. They were the they were the the leaders of the day. It was kind of like the they weren't they weren't elected though either. No. They were just the educated, basically. They were the, the makers of the law, the, the interpretation of it. He had to be in favor of someone. Well, and then the but high, they did believe in the resurrection, right? And the Sadducees didn't, or they got yeah. that wrong way. And, and then, but the Sanhedrin, now who was the, who's a part of the Sanhedrin? Was it the Pharisees and Sadducees? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and the high priest was the head of the Sanhedrin? Yes. Or he was a member of the Sanhedrin? No, the, the Sanhedrin was run by, during Paul's time, and this is interesting, Gamaliel and Shemel, Shemani, Shemani, the two Torah teachers of the day, the Yale and the Harvard, were the leaders of the Sanhedrin. They were the last two. After that, it became one person became the leader of it, but some were the high priests. It's very... Because he was a part of that meeting. The night that they, yes. that they judged Jesus... Or the early morning that they judged Jesus, the the high priest was a part of that yeah. gathering, and he was yeah. the one making that decision. That said, 
we need to do this. And yeah. <clears throat> but some of the Pharisees convert, right? I think about I mean, Jesus went to their house to eat. Well, Nicodemus was Nicodemus part of the yeah. the mm-hmm. Sanhedrin, or was he? I a, don't know if he was part of Sanhedrin or not. Was he a priest? He was a Pharisee. He wasn't Levite. He was a Pharisee. Interesting. So about the guy who had the spear, Jeff Jesus aside. So that was a, that was a Roman. The Roman soldiers. Oh, what did I just do? What did I do? Can you imagine? What did I just do? Yeah. Amen. All right, let us stop there. Pastor Greg, you hold us out in prayer. Father, thank you for being here tonight. Taking part, or having us to take part in what you're doing. Help us to continue to walk in the direction you want us to walk. To listen to your voice. And to always do what you want us to do. Bless the rest of the week. Help us in everything we do. Further your kingdom, Father. Thank you for that.